Good morning, church. Nice to see you. My name is Paul. I haven't met you. Uh, we are starting a new sermon series in the book of Colossians, and hopefully you've got a little booklet which has these amazing three words on it. It says, Christ is all. That's the theme of our sermon series, Christ is all. Uh, we sing about it, you know, in Christ alone my hope is found. Uh, Alleluia, all I have is Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. So we sing those words, Christ is all that we need. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Christ is all you need for your salvation and for your sanctification? Do you believe that Christ is all that you need for life today and tomorrow and every single day until you see him face to face? Do you believe that Christ is all that you need in the good times and the bad times when life is joyous and when life is really tough? Do you believe that Christ is everything that you need to live this life well and to prepare you for eternity? Christ is all. See, Paul wrote to the Colossians because he wanted them to know, to believe, to live that Christ was all. And I think God wants us to know and you to obey that all that you need in life is found in Jesus Christ. Uh, the key verse of the whole letter is in, uh, on the screen. It's uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in Christ, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. And Paul says to the Colossians, uh, you started with Jesus, so stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus, grow in Jesus, keep on knowing Jesus. And as you know him, and as you grow in him, make sure you're full of gratitude and thankfulness to Jesus. Uh, just a bit of background on this, this letter. It's written about AD 61. Uh, Paul is in prison in Rome. Uh, he's never visited Colossae. He didn't plant this church. Uh, Colossae is a, a, a city about 160 kilometers east of, of Ephesus. Uh, it, it's probably the, the least most important city that Paul wrote a letter to. It's like a nothing town. It used to be a thriving town. Two things happened. They built a bypass around it. That destroys the town, doesn't it? And the second thing that happened is there was a massive earthquake and Colossae was almost destroyed. So it's a nothing town. So how did the gospel get there? It goes like this. There's a man called Epaphras. We're going to meet him in a letter. A man called Epaphras who is from Colossae. He's a businessman, so he goes down to Ephesus. And one day down in Ephesus, there's a little man preaching about Jesus. And that's the day that Epaphras' life changed. He heard the gospel, he believed. And don't you love when, when new Christians first believe? They're so enthusiastic about sharing the gospel. So Epaphras goes back to Colossae, and he can't stop talking about Jesus. And as he shares his faith, he, he's not a professional preacher. He's just a converted man. He talks about Jesus. And, and all these people in Colossae believe. And a church springs up in Colossae. Uh, they meet at a house called Philemon's house. 
And so that's how the church started. You've got all these Christians. There's, there's no denomination. There's no pastor. There's no preacher. It's just Christians gathering together to talk about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So how does Paul end up hearing about this church at Colossae? And again, I love how God sovereign, uh, sovereignly works. See if you can understand this. Philemon is a Christian. The church meets in his house. Philemon has a slave called Onesimus. Onesimus hates church. And so Onesimus flees to Rome. He runs away. And in Rome, he meets a man called Paul. And Paul preaches the gospel to Onesimus, and Onesimus gets converted. Epaphras happens to go to Rome, and he meets Paul, the man who 10 years ago explained the gospel to him and said, you probably don't remember me, but I was in the market square that day when you told me about Jesus. I became a Christian. I took the gospel back to Colossae. And you never believe this, but there's a whole church there, and they're doing really, really well. And so Paul in Rome sends Onesimus back to his hometown and Epaphras back with this letter. That's how, that's what, how Colossians comes about. It's a really beautiful, positive letter saying, good on you, church. Stick with Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. Keep knowing Jesus because that's all that you need. Does that make sense? So this booklet, please bring it to church. Please bring it to your, your connect groups. Uh, write notes if you, if you like doing that. And in there are some daily Bible readings as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to hear Colossians 1 read. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this little letter, which is such an encouragement. Lord, help us to see Jesus and all that he is. In his name, amen. Dom is going to read Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Morning, I'm Dominic, and I'm going to read Colossians Chapter 1. And all of us can read uh, today using the book. So if I could get everybody to have a look at page 10. Obviously you can open your Bibles as well if you like. But this is a good reminder to bring the book in every week as we read through it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ. Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learnt it from Epaphras our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, 
we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's a quote on the screen. It says, we should preach the gospel daily to ourselves because we are prone to forget. And I love that because we are prone to forget, aren't we? You are prone to forget all the blessings that are yours in Christ. You are prone to forget how glorious God's grace is. You are you're prone to forget everything that God's done for you. You're prone to take for granted things like forgiveness and redemption and the gift of the Spirit and the promise of eternity. You're prone to forget that stuff. And that's why we need to keep on reminding each other how glorious this gospel really is. Uh, one way I love doing that is, is hearing testimonies, hearing people's stories of the gospel that work in people's lives. Think of my friend Roger, who is filthy rich, ridiculously good-looking, and has everything the world could offer. And one day, it's 25 years ago now, he met Jesus. And his life has radically changed, and he's a different man with different priorities. I just love that gospel change. Think of my friend Anna, who was an academic with me many, many years ago, an atheist academic who was so against the gospel, and that the Spirit reached into her life, opened her eyes, totally transformed her. She's now a missionary in Lithuania. It's amazing. I think of Shane, who's one of the most hardened criminals in the UK, who did the Alpha course in jail and met Jesus, and his life radically changed. I think of Kelvin, who was a little kid from the housing estate in Oxford, where he used to run a kids' club. This is 30 years ago, 25 years ago. He became a Christian aged 10, and his whole life was totally different because he had Jesus. I think of Gosha, who came to playtime here at Newtown Bay and met Jesus, and her life is totally different. We to keep reminding ourselves of the power of the gospel. It just changes our lives the gospel is life-giving and life-transforming. You must never forget that. And so when Paul thinks of this Colossian church, these people he's never met, the first thing he says is, wow, God, thank you. Wow, God, thank you for what you have done. You are amazing, God, and your gospel is amazing. So he says in verse 3, we always thank God. He doesn't say, well done, Colossians, or excellent choice, Colossians. He says, God, you are amazing, and your gospel's amazing. I love verse 6. It says, all over the world, the same gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. As Paul hears about churches springing up all over his area, he's saying, wow, this gospel is incredible. I need to ask you, do you believe that? 
Have you lost sight of how glorious this gospel really is? And I know that we know the gospel. I know that we believe it. But perhaps you've just started to take it for granted. You need to keep reminding each other how glorious this gospel is. So how would you finish this sentence? The gospel is glorious because. What would you say? Just give you one minute to think about it. The gospel is glorious because... I'm going to quickly look at six reasons this morning. It's because it's all about Christ. The gospel is all about Christ. It is not about you, it's about Christ. It's not about me, it's about Christ. All that we do in this gospel is that we sin and deserve hell. That's all we've done. And Christ has done all the rest. Uh, Spurgeon said this, this is not a gospel of self. It's not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel of baptism or of priests or of ministers. It is the glorious gospel of Christ. So forget the men who preach it, if you will. But forget not the bleeding, dying Savior to whom they bid you look. Because your hope must be in Christ and Christ alone. The most common phrase in this letter is in Christ, in Christ. So look at it in verse 2, to God's holy people, to the saints in, in Colossae. So that's their geographical location, but their spiritual location, verse 2, is they are in Christ. The faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. He might write to us, to God's holy people in Neutral Bay. But that's not, that doesn't define you where you live. You're defined by the fact you're in Christ. Same in verse 4, the faith in Christ. He is the focus. He is everything about this gospel. We're told in verse 3, he's described as the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord, the Master, the Lord of the King. He is the promised Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. This gospel is not about you, and it's all about Jesus. So what has Jesus done for you? If someone stopped you tomorrow and said, well, what has Christ done for you? What would you say? Look at verses 12 to 14. This is what Christ has done for you if you're a believer here today. It says this. The Father has qualified you, so you didn't earn it. The Father gave you the entrance ticket. He gave you the qualification to share in the inheritance that future inheritance of all of God's holy people in the kingdom of light. For he's rescued us. So that, that's what God has done for you. He has rescued you from your natural inhabitant, which is a dominion of darkness. That's where we all lived and all belonged. This, this world full of darkness and pain and suffering and sin. And he's rescued us. He's plucked us out of that and he's brought us into the kingdom of the Son, of Jesus. We, we take part in Jesus' kingdom now. It's a kingdom of light, not darkness. How has God done that? It's all about Christ. Verse 14, because in Christ we have redemption. In Christ we've been redeemed, set free, liberated. Remember in the Old Testament, God's people were in slavery. And how did God redeem them? Remember that story? They, they were to sacrifice a lamb and they were to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And if they sheltered under the doorpost covered in blood of a lamb, God would pass over them and he would redeem them. That's what God has done for us. 
not through blood on a doorpost, but through blood on a cross. As Jesus Christ went to that cross and his blood was shed, he is redeeming us, he's buying us back, he's setting us free from sin and death and darkness. It was costly. What else he's done in verse 14? He's given us forgiveness of sins. He's taken our sins. He's paid the price. He's wiped it clean. He's washed us whiter than snow. What can wash away my sin? The answer, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now again, let me ask you, what have you done so far? What have you done? Nothing. What has Christ done? Everything. Let's say if you're here this morning and you're struggling in your faith, you've got you faith, you've got to just know Jesus better again. You've got to get, you fall in love with him again. You've got to plumb the depths of who Christ is. Because the more your eyes are fixed onto him and not yourself, the more joy you'll find in him. So it's all about Christ. The gospel is glorious because it's received by faith. Even that is a gift. See that verse 4? We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Here's why. Because we've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. That's a mark of a believer. You have faith in Christ. What does that word faith mean? It means trust. It means depending. It means believing. But they're kind of Christian words, aren't they? A missionary was trying to translate the word faith for the people they were trying to witness to. And this is what they came up with. I quite like it. They translated the word faith as this. Lean your whole weight upon. <laughs> Lean your whole weight upon. Isn't that beautiful? That's faith. You lean your whole weight on Christ. Not a bit of your weight, but all your weight on Christ. You trust in him alone. Not a bit of Christ and a bit of you, but Christ alone. It is not Christ plus your baptism. It's not Christ plus your works or Christ plus your church or Christ plus your prayer life or Christ plus experience. It's Christ alone. That's what faith is to say, I trust him with everything, all that I am and all that I have, I trust to Jesus. So when he tells you you're forgiven, you are forgiven. When he tells you you're redeemed, you are redeemed. It's extraordinary, isn't it? So I want to ask you, do you have that kind of faith? That you take him at his word. All his promises are true for you. I sat with a, a beautiful family on Thursday who were grieving the death of their 29-year-old son who died after a long battle with leukemia. And we read John 11 together when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me will live even though they die. And then it says, do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Do you believe that this life is not all there is? Do you have that faith? And this beautiful family says, yeah, we believe that. And that changes everything, doesn't it? And when people say to you, I wish you had your faith, you turn around straight back at them and say, it's not about the size of my faith, it's who I have faith in. And I have faith in Christ, who is rock solid and totally dependable and totally trustworthy. So again, I need to ask you, when did you receive Christ by faith? When was it for you? There must be a moment in your life where you move from darkness to light because you received Christ. For me, it was 1990. I don't know when it was for you. 
The gospel is glorious because it's about Christ, it's about faith. I love this one. It results in love. This is the outworking of the gospel. It always shows itself in love. See that verse 4? We've heard about your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have. The love that you have for all God's people. Is he a mark that you really do believe the gospel is this radical, other person-centered, indiscriminate, selfish, lavish love? That's what Jesus said, you know, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. But sometimes it's hard to love, isn't it? Sometimes it's really, really hard to love people well, especially in the church. And that's why I love verse 8. What verse 8 says. Also told us of your love in the Spirit. It's fascinating. The only time the Spirit is mentioned in this whole letter is linked to love. Because the sign that you're really, truly born again is the Spirit of God has poured the love of God. The Spirit of God has poured the love of God into your hearts to equip you and to enable you to love all people. Not with a selfish love or a safe love or a selective love, but with an extraordinary, supernatural, selfless, sacrificial, indiscriminate love. And if I'm perfectly honest, the word I most struggle with in this whole passage is there in verse 4 when it says, the love you have for all God's people. (laughs) See, there are people that are hard to love, isn't it? There are people who have hurt you, who have harmed you. There are people in this church who, by nature, you just don't want to love. But when you have the Spirit of God working you, you believe the gospel, you are empowered and equipped to love people who are really, really, really hard to love. But that is the mark of the Christian faith, isn't it? To quote verse 1, they may have harmed you, but they're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you're called to love them. How do we show that we love each other here at church? I think there's two obvious ways. Meeting together and doing life together. You can't love people you don't know and you don't hang out with. You can't love people who you don't let into your life. If you know nothing about these people, you can't love them well. But the scriptures urge us and encourage us to to be vulnerable and open and to let people love us. And the second very practical way is that you show love by actual practical care and concern. 1 John 3 says this, verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's let's not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And that's what you see at the first church of Pentecost, isn't it? When the Spirit of God comes, these people suddenly start to love in this radical kind of way. And that is the glory of the gospel. The gospel comes into our lives, and it equips us and empowers us to love all people well. Number four, the gospel is glorious because it is all based on hope. This great Christian triad, faith, love, and hope. It's there in verse 4. We thank God because we've heard about your faith in Christ and the love for God's people 
Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from, this is the foundation, spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. This beautiful word of hope where there's a certainty, there's a confidence. God has told us what will definitely happen in the future. And before you heard the gospel, you lived without hope and without God. But once you'd heard the gospel, everything changed. And what I find tragic about our our world and our society is that we've got these people living without hope. And they are clinging onto all these trinkets and superficial stuff in the world, find their security and identify in, in, their identity in those things. And they never satisfy, and there's no certainty. But when you've heard the, the glorious gospel, you, your whole perspective changes. You live with this underlying hope and certainty. You know exactly what's going to happen in the future. And again, sitting with this family this week, oh, they are believing in that hope that Sam is with Jesus free from pain and free from suffering, because that's the hope of the gospel, you know. When you read that word hope, you're supposed to think there's going to be a day where there is total justice and every wrong will be put to right. And there's going to be a day when we're going to have new bodies, new bodies free from sin and free from suffering and free from pain, physical and mental pain. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a glorious inheritance where I'm going to see Jesus face to face. And there's going to be a day when I have eternal life. And when the Bible says eternal life, please don't read that as living forever. Because everybody lives forever, don't they? In one of two destinations. Eternal life means that you actually get to dwell with God and enjoy him face to face and enjoy his loving presence forever. And that's the hope that we have and according to verse 5, it's stored up in heaven for us. So we don't get to enjoy it all now. We wish that we could, but we don't. This is not as good as it gets. Can I say, as your pastor, you've got to live with this hope. Because if you lose hope and you shift your eyes away from eternity, you start to compromise. You start to compromise your morality. You start to compromise materially. And you find your, your identity in all the stuff that you shouldn't find your identity in. You've got to live for the future, live for eternity. And just on the side, if you're going to spend eternity with people here at church, you better start loving them now. Number five, the gospel is glorious because it's universally true. This is the truth, the absolute truth, not fake news, not relative truth. This is the truth that's going to change the lives of every man and woman all around the world. That's what Paul says in verse five. Look at it with me. The faith and love that spring from hope stored up in heaven for you, about which you've already heard in the the true message of the gospel that has come to you in Colossae. In the same way, the same true gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace. I love the fact that Paul kept on preaching the true gospel and lives were changed. And wherever he preached, the gospel bore fruit. And it is the same today, isn't it? 
As we speak today, that same true gospel is bearing fruit in Canteen Creek and it's bearing fruit in Darwin. It's bearing fruit in England and Australia and the US and Singapore and Sri Lanka, all around the world. The same gospel is bearing fruit. This glorious gospel that cannot be contained to one particular city or one particular culture or one particular ethnicity, it cannot be contained. It may have started in Jerusalem, but it's spread to the ends of the earth, even here in Sydney. As we speak today, in Africa, which is already the most Christian continent in the world, there's more Christian in Africa than any other continent today, but by 2060, the prediction is that six out of the ten largest Christian nations will be in Africa. As we sit today, every Sunday in Nigeria, 20 million Christians gather to worship the same Jesus Christ. And extraordinarily today, the bottom two-thirds of Africa is now predominantly Christian. It's incredible. The gospel is bearing fruit. In the Middle East, in Iran, more Muslims have come to faith in Christ in the last 15 years than the past 15 centuries because the gospel is bearing fruit. Please don't believe when you hear the church is dying. It's not. Evangelical Christianity is the fastest growing religious movement in the world today, growing at double the rate of Islam and more than triple the rate of the world's population because the power of the gospel is to bring new life and life transformation. It might be tough going here in Sydney. You might be discouraged in Sydney, but all around the world, that same gospel is doing an incredible work. I'm going to ask you, do you get excited when you hear of the gospel growing throughout the world? Do you get excited when you hear of people coming to faith in different nations? Do you get excited by people coming to faith here in Sydney? But do you believe, let me ask you, do you believe that that gospel can bear fruit in the lives of those people you know and love who do not yet know Christ? Because if you really believe that, you would just be gossiping that gospel the whole time. And this Tuesday, we have an incredible opportunity a simple invite to say, come to Alpha at 10 o'clock in the morning with, with child mining. Come to Alpha at 7 p.m. at night because I can guarantee if you've been to Alpha, they will get to hear this glorious gospel. And it's not down to you to convert them, but they to hear that gospel and allow God to open their eyes. And then lastly this morning, and very briefly, it continues to transform you. I love this. The same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that sanctified us. Someone said, if people are not living changed lives, we must assume that either the true gospel was not preached to them or they didn't believe it. Because when you really believe this gospel, it radically changes your life. Belief always changes behavior. Creed always changes your conduct. And the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that you never stop growing, you never stop changing because God is preparing us for glory. So when Paul thinks about the Colossians, he's never met them. What does he do for them? He does what you and I can do for each other. He just prays. The prayer is there in verses 9 to 11. It's a glorious prayer. It's a big prayer. If you ever struggle to know what to pray for people, just pray verses 9 to 11 for them. It's a beautiful prayer. At verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you. It's a, it's a, it's a big word, to, 
to completely top you up and fill you with the knowledge of God's will. He just prays that they would know what God wants in their life and who God is in their life. It's a spiritual prayer. He doesn't just pray for the material stuff like happy homes and happy health and happy kids. He prays for kingdom stuff. Fill you with the knowledge of God's will through all wisdom, the practical application through understanding the knowledge that the Spirit gives. So that, verse 10, there's always an implication. Not just sticking stuff in your head full of information, but transformation so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. That's what he wants. He wants the the gospel to shape the way that we live, to live different Christ-centered, Christ-honoring lives. And to please him in every way, in every area of your life, honouring Jesus. Bearing fruit in every good work, so doing good works, they're, they're always good things to do, sign the gospels that have taken root in your life. Growing in the knowledge of God, verse 10, so knowing God better and better and better. Love, verse 11, being strengthened, being empowered with all God's power. Not so we can change the world, but so we can endure and be patient particularly sexy, but it's what we need. We need to endure the impossible situations and to be patient with impossible people and to be joyful and give thanks. It's it's a great prayer. He's basically praying that these Christians would keep on growing and keep on being transformed by that same gospel. And so I just want to ask you, do you ever pray like this for people you know and love? I just wonder how our church might look different if you committed to pray, just say for five people at 10 a.m., five people you know and love, just, just read verses 9 to 11 every day for the next month for them. But more than that, pray for yourself. Pray that you would not stop growing, that the gospel that you once heard would still keep on doing a good work in you. We need to keep on preaching the gospel to ourselves every day because it is extraordinary. We should preach the gospel daily. Please don't forget all God's done for you. It's all about Christ, received by faith, shows in love based on hope, bearing fruit all around the world as it works right now to transform you.